So uh, we're looking into this book, which is written, wonderful, written to these people of the dispersion. And again, I want to bring you back to the circumstances where they were. They were fleeing from their places of, of safety or their homes. And in many ways, uh, this is happening around the world. Maybe not here in Australia, not here in Melbourne, not here in Karam Downs. You can get in your car and still go to your home and it will be safe. But these people received this letter. And, and how wonderful is it? How long is, are we busy now with this letter, studying it? Week after week. And there are so much more. There's so much more. It's so deep. I told you in the beginning when we started going through this letter that the first chapter in itself, you can write books and books about the first chapter. I'm preaching now for the best part of eight to nine weeks on the first chapter. And we're only going to do two more verses today. But I constantly want you to go and sit down and read it in one reading. As these people, as they were sitting there and one man stood up or, a, uh, you know, the reporter stood up and he read it in one sitting to everybody. For them it was a letter from their beloved apostle. It's like you receiving a letter, not a text, not an MS, MS message or something, but a letter, a handwritten letter from a loved one which you haven't seen for a long time. Receiving that, how eagerly they were waiting to hear the words, and it became and formed part of our Bible. So, in a way you can say, this is the letter from God through the Apostle Peter to us. Because what you're hearing today is God's Word. The Bible says in Timothy that this year the Word of God is breathed by God. Every word that you read in the Bible is God's Word. It makes you understand and know Him more. What is on God's mind? What is He thinking? What He wants us to do? Everything, all the instruction is there. So we can only stay with the Word of God. And these people received these words from their apostle, writing it to them. We've heard about walking in hope. We've heard about walking holy. We've heard about all of these things which we need to have. Faith, hope, and all of that. And we're going to take it one step further now. Now we've got a privilege to unpack it and to spend time on it. We sit down for maybe 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Those people, they didn't have all, they didn't have all of the commentaries around this passage that we have. How blessed are we? All they had was that. And the training which they got directly from the apostles, from the disciples. So by far I don't think we're ahead of them. We are learning a lot of things which they knew. A lot of the things when he write to them was in their culture. Remember when he said to them, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins to them means something which they knew and understand. Here now, I've got to come and explain to you how it was back in their days. We have to learn how they thought about that. But behind everything sits the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to change you and my heart. So let's open up in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 17. The Word of God says, and if you call on the Father, are you still calling on the Father? And if you call on the Father, 
What do we call that today? Praying. These people were people of prayer. This man who wrote to them this letter was a man of prayer. He called on the Father and he says to them, Now, if you call on the Father, who partially judges according to each one's work, if it's your Bible, underline that, because that's critical. Conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. What is he meaning? Is he meaning them staying in Cappadocia? Is he meaning they are fearful of the people who chase them, who try to catch them, who try to hurt them? No, he's talking about the time you stay here on this earth. This is what he talks about. He says, how do we stay this? We stay here in fear knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like coins, like dollar notes, like silver or gold from, from your aimless conduct received by, by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is living it is powerful, it is sharper than a two-edged sword, and today your word will cut between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. And Father, also like I say in the book of Isaiah where he says that your word will go out today and it will accomplish what it's been purposed for in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're just going to look at those few verses there, verse 17 to 19. And I want to talk to you today about the judgment of God. The judgment of God. This is how Peter says it to them in verse 17. He says, and if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's own work. God is a righteous judge. And he says that he's going to judge each one in this room according to your own work. Oh, but I know. I know what we do. We hold an account of what other people do, don't we? We look at what other people do and we hold an account on that and say, Lord, surely when they're going to stand in front of you, you're going to mention all of these things they are doing wrong. And you're going to judge them on each one of those. But Peter says to them, what? He says, you're going to be judged on your wife's work? Oh Lord, I did it because she, she let me do it, Lord. According to your husband's work? Oh, he's the head of the house and I have to do it because he says I'm doing it. According to your children's work or your best mate? I recall back in the day when I was a young man and I had nephews, man, and they taught me a lot of naughty things which I won't repeat in church this morning, because you would think we wouldn't want to listen to him. But they taught me a lot of naughty things, and one of these things was, you know, these, these neighbors of my nephew put in a brand new swimming pool. Brand new swimming pool. And we waited. Because they saw when these people left on a Sunday morning to go to church, how long it takes for them to get back. And there was a window of opportunity there. And it was a warm day. And this window of opportunity opened it up that day as my nephews and myself looked over the fence and waited and waited and then there was no more life 
There was no more life around the house. They didn't have dogs, nor anything. And we jumped the fence and into the water. And there was this funny thing in the water. It made a tuk-tuk noise. Tuk-tuk-tuk-tuk-tuk-tuk-tuk-tuk. And we thought, what's this thing doing here? And while it was doing the tuk-tuk noise, we took it out. Put it on the side. What's that in the way? And we enjoyed ourselves thoroughly there. Thoroughly there. What we did not know is that's the thing that cleans the pool. And once it starts sucking in air, it burns something in the motor. We didn't know these things. So soon after that, the tuk-tuk noise stopped. <laughs> we thought that's a good thing. <laughs> it could be a good thing, you know. It's not making that funny noise anymore. It made the sound and then... And then we thought, when we finished, we put the thing back. Didn't make tuk-tuk anymore, but there we go. It burnt, and we were in trouble. Of course we were in trouble, and we were caught out. And I got a, got a very, very good hiding on my bum from my dad. It was back in the day when you still take off the belt. And you don't hit with the buckle. No, they didn't do that. You turn it to the good side and you bend over and you got a good hiding on your back. But before my dad did that, he asked me this question. Why did you do it? Why did you do it? And what did I say? What all of we said at some states. They made me do it. <laughs> Judge them. It's them. And what did they tell their dads? He made me do it. <laughs> and we all do that from time to time. Even, even Adam did it when Eve sinned, when Eve ate of the thing, didn't he? When God came to them and he says, what have you done, Adam? He says, it is the woman whom you've given me. So we love to point fingers to other people. We love to do that. But here Peter comes, he says, God judges each one according to his own works. His own works. And you know the Bible talks about books that will be opened. There's a book of memories. There's a lot of books. You say, who, who is holding that account against me? Well, while you're sitting here, your thought is being recorded. Did you know that? Did you know that? Every single thing you thought about me growing my new beard is recorded right now, Okay. But he records every single thing. And here is the thing. You will be judged according to your own work. Let me say this. When I jumped over that fence to get into the pool, whose choice was that? It was my choice. I chose to do it. I could have said, no, I'm not going to do it. But why did I do it? Because I wanted to feel in. And that is the biggest problem today. It's the biggest problem today with youth. It's the biggest problem today with the world. We want to feel in. We want to be part of the party. You see, we need to be serious about our lives and sin. Absolutely serious about this. This is no joke. Friends, let me tell you, eternal damnation is no joke. Sin is no joke. Our lives is no joke. And we're going to stand before a judge. And this judge... Let me say, is holy. This is part of his characteristic. It's a holy God. Already Peter said it to them. He says, be holy for I am holy. We need to conduct ourselves holy 
okay, set apart, separate from the world. He is a holy God. In John 17 verse 11, he says, and now I am in the world no longer. Jesus prays this prayer to his disciples in John 17. You need to read the whole chapter. It makes for beautiful reading. Three things he prays for. Number one, he prays for himself. He prays for his disciples with him. And he prays for you and for me in Karam Downs in the future. It's the high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed. When people talk about prayer, everybody goes to the Our Father. That's not the prayer. They should read this one. In this prayer he says, and now I'm in the world no longer because he was going to die. But these are in the world. The disciples, you and me, we are in the world. And I come to you, what? Holy Father. Holy Father. Who believes in the Trinity? He now prays about the Holy Father. He was the Son. He says, keep them in your name, those whom you've given me, so that they may be one as we are. Not only is this judge holy, he's also righteous. He's a right God. So if you worry ever, if you worry and sit there and say, maybe I'm, I don't know what kind of judge I'm going to get. I mean, if you do something wrong now and you have got to go to court, you don't know what judge is going to sit up there. And we've heard about so many judges who's not righteous, who's not right, who's got an evil intent and heart and all of those things. It's a gamble, isn't it? If you do something wrong and somebody's going to go there and he's going to fall the gaffle on your life, you want that person to be the right person. We have the right person as a judge. He's righteous in John 17, that same prayer. Jesus prays, he says, O righteous Father, indeed the world has not known you, but I've known you, and these have known you, who, who you have seen to me, who have sent me. Here is the fact, friends, that God will not compromise on sin. We compromise, but God will not compromise. There is no place in God's holiness for unholiness. There is no place in heaven for sin. No place. It is a 100% accurate figure is heaven. So we need to make sure that when we approach heaven, what needs to be? We need to be 100%. And let me just say, you can't do this in your own strength. There's only one who can make you 100%. Who's that? It's God. It's through Jesus Christ that makes you whole. It's against God's nature to compromise on sin. He won't compromise on sin. But He gives us grace and He gives us mercy. And that is wonderful to understand. Peter says it again. I'm going to repeat it so many times today. He says, and if you call on the Father, who without partially judges. What does it mean? It means that God do not have favorites. Ah, that is so wonderful, isn't it? God, do not have... I spoke to a person in New Zealand once, and, and this person said, I've got a bad relationship with my children because I had a bad relationship with my father because my father, between the two brothers that we were, my brother was the favorite and I wasn't the favorite, so there was a disconnect there. Friends, let me tell you, brother and sister, sir, madam, God has got no favorites. You are his favorite. I am his favorite. Every living soul sitting here, washed by the blood of the Lamb, is God's favorite. How does it make you feel to know that you're God's favorite? But you are. 
Turn to the person next to you and say, you are God's favorite. Come on, Andre, you are God's favorite, my brother. No, he's got nobody that he's going to say, I'm going to look more after this child than that child. These things that you hear people preach about that is a lot of nonsense. It's rubbish. God sees you as he sees me. And then, and then, Peter says right here, he says, when he sees us all equal, after we were washed by the blood of the Lamb, what's going to happen? He's going to judge us by what? The works we do. The works. I've got three children. And you know what? I love each one of them the same. Now, if one of them do works which is not right, I will talk to him about what? Not because I don't like him or love him or anything. I will address the works he's doing. And this is how God operates. This is the just God we have. This is the righteous God we have. But let me just explain something to you. Because when Peter talks about this judgment, a lot of people get it confused with the white throne judgment. So let me explain this to you. The Bible talks about a beamer seat. A beamer seat. A beamer seat back in the day in Rome was when the emperor or somebody came and they sat on a seat. It was a little bit lifted up from everybody and everybody gathered and people would come before this judgment seat. But this was more so to give, to give uh, uh, um, approval or uh, congratulations on what people did before the seat. The Bible talks about this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul writes to Corinthians, he says, Therefore we make it our aim whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. See what Paul writes? We, you and I, need to have one aim and one aim only. Not to impress anybody in the world. Not to make money in this world. Not to get fame in this world. What do we need to do as a child of God? To be well-pleasing to Him. How are we well-pleasing to Him? Paul writes it to the United States to the church in Rome. He says, I urge you, brothers, to give your bodies as a living sacrifice to Him. Everything you do needs to have the stamp of approval from God. Everything you do as a child of God. Paul writes it here. He says, it's my aim, whether present or not present, to be well-pleasing to Him. Next time when you sit for an interview for a job and they ask you, what is your aim in life? Say, well, to be well-pleasing to God. <laughs> they might cross your name out, my brother, but you know what? They might cross your name out, but it's written in another place, in red, the blood of Christ. How wonderful is that? He says in verse 10, For we must, everybody say must. must. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You're not going to escape this. You're not going to go, uh, I'll be there in five minutes, I'm just in the toilet. It's not going to happen. You, you're not going to pass the time. You must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the word for judgment seat there is in the Greek, beamer seat. It refers back, when, when they wrote back in the day, it refers to what I've explained to you, that chair that's a little bit high lifted up and people appear before him. And, and notice, notice to whom he writes this. Is he writing this to the world? He writes it to the church in Corinthians. He writes this to the children of God. He writes this to Christians. 
He writes this to you and me. Are you a child of God? Can you put up your hand if you're a child of God? Well, the fact that you are here, you're proclaiming that you're a child of God. He writes this to you and me, and he says that we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body. Slash. Slash means Peter now, if we go back to what he said. He says we're all going to be just according to our own works. Everything you've done in the body is going to come before Him. You're going to appear before Christ according to what He's done, whether it's good or bad. Now what is the white throne judgment then? Let's look at this in Revelation chapter 20 verse 11. He says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose the face of the earth and heaven fled away. This is coming. Let me tell you, this earth will see this happen. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and books were open. I told you there's books in heaven, didn't I? There's books no iPads, no computers, there's books. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. It's the thing you do by the things which were written in the books. So here is in my small brain how I see it. The book is open, and they call it up and say, John... Uh, let me give me your right names. Isaac, Johannes, John, Shipman. Where is the, where, I found him, what is the works he's done? Have you heard people saying that their lives play off like a screen before them? These will be in front of the whole world. But brother and sister, I've got good news for you. If you are washed by the blood of the Lamb, you will not stand before this throne, white throne judgment. Because this judgment is according to whether your name is written in the book of life. Now, if you sit here this morning and according to what is written in 1 John, it's what's written in the book of John, the gospel of John, and if you are saved by the blood of the Lamb, you know that you are saved. You know this. Because these things, these works which these people have done, our Lord Jesus Christ took those on our behalf to the cross and now the Bible says he will never call it back again how good is that what did I do just now earlier on I told you about my Sunday morning dip in the swimming pool didn't I it is in my memory and I use it as an example to you but let me tell you something this morning I can't even feel the hurt on my bum anymore when my dad gave me a hiding. But if it was a sin, brother and sister, it is finished and it is paid for and it won't be held against me anymore. It only comes back in my memory. And I feel sad about what I've done. I've done worse things than that, but I won't tell you. <laughs> yes, our neighbor also had a peach tree, brother. And the Bible says, if you steal, it's a sin. <laughs> I won't go further than that. I think you can fill in the gaps. And yes, I also got a hiding. And yes, I also said it's my sister's fault. And I also said it was her making me. But you know what is the great news about this? The sin part of it is forgiven. 
And you should shout hallelujah for the rest of your life because any one of these marks is not against you anymore. It's washed by the blood of the Lamb. Let me explain to you this. If you see on our timeline, if we go from there, that's where the cross is and we are now in the dispensation of grace. And we are all awaiting for the arpatsu to take place, the snatching away of the children of God. There's different views about this, but what I firmly believe in my heart, the Bible teaches, is this will happen soon. And there's going to be a seven-year time here where they will be dealt with Israel. And then there will be a setup of a thousand years, a thousand years, when we will be reigned as kings and priests, and there will be still a, a civilization upon this earth. Um, I've got the whole teaching on, on the net. We've, we've preached here two years ago. But then after all the white throne judgment will be taken place. And what will happen? The ancient of days will sit down and the books will be opened. In between there will also be another judgment, which is the one of the goats and the sheep. You haven't heard of these three judgments. Don't get them confused. When we talk this morning... When Peter says, when you call upon the Lord, and each one will be just according to his own works, he's talking about the beamer seat where you will appear before Jesus Christ as the judge. That's what he's talking about. So yes, every single work you do as a child of God is written up, whether good or bad. Whether good or bad. Everything you do, if you give somebody a glass of water, what will we get for this? There's a reward for that. And we will come to that. Now, look at this in Titus, chapter 2, verse 6. He says, likewise exhort the young men to be sober-minded. You see, we've heard that last week. Sober-minded. In all things showing yourself to be a pattern of what? Of good works. He just didn't say do good works, but he says a pattern of good works. What does that mean when it's a pattern of good works? It means that you are doing it consistently. It's not just one time you go, oh, I'm feeling like it today, I'm going to do some good thing, and you do it, and now you feel, oh man, I'm ticking that box, I'm going to stand. No, no, it's a pattern, you're forming a pattern, you consistently are good. How are you? If I go around and ask your family members, how is this person as a person? Will they say he's a good person as, as a pattern? Or will they say just every now and then, but then you get the other side as well? What about your workplace as well? He says, a pattern of good works in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech, so that, that cannot be condemned, that, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. Wow, that's a place to be, isn't it? That people want to say bad things about you, but they can't. And they're feeling ashamed by doing that. That's a pattern. That is a pattern. In Luke chapter 3 verse 8, he says, Therefore, remember... Remember these Pharisees, they came to, to John the Baptist there at Bethabara, and they came to him, and he turned to them, and he says, Brood of vipers, the only reason why you guys are coming here is because you can see the fire coming, and you want to escape the fire, the fire of judgment. And then he turns to them, these men in their ropes, Oh, we are so highly holy, man. We are so righteous. We are, the ch we, we are a man. Listen, I'm a man of the cloth. Have you heard that one? 
I'm a man of the cloth. These people are so self-righteous. They came to him to be baptized, to escape something. Listen, let me tell you, the gospel of Christ is not for you escape place, to escape the lake of fire of anything. If you come with that mindset, you ain't going to get it. All you're going to get is harsh words from the Bible. When he turns to them, he says, you're brood of vipers. He could see right through the plastic they tried to put in front of them, the masks. He says, you only come for this. And then he turns to this, and I love this. He says to them, therefore, go and read for yourself, Luke chapter 3. He says, therefore, bear fruits worthy of what? Repentance. You need to bear fruit worthy of repentance. It means to have a pattern of good works. That is what it means. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abram as your father, for I say to you that God will be able to raise up children to Abram from these stones, and man, didn't he do that? Who can tell me how he did it? You and I, are you, who's got Jewish blood in them here this morning? God bless you, my brother. Who else? You know what? Each one else is a stone. He raised us up. We were the stones. Listen, let me say it to you again. He says, we have Abram as our father. Andre can say that. He's got Jewish blood. He can stand here this morning and say, hey, I'm set apart. I've got Abram as my father. I've got Jewish blood. But no else, nobody else here can say it. But he said it to them. Don't say this. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children Two. You see the word two? Oh, there's again one of those highly theological words, two. He says, two, Abraham from these stones, brother and sister, at a latter stage, this same man says to the people, you and I are stones built into the temple of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm grafted into you, brother. That's what the Bible says in the book of Romans. He says, we are grafted into the olive tree. Who's the, who's the we? The Gentiles. The Gentiles. I better watch out before I preach a different message here. But that gets me so excited. And it should you as well. And he turns to them and he says, the most important part of that is to what? To bear fruits. To have a good, pat a pattern of good works. Now, this seed here, has got nothing to do with salvation. I've said it before. This seed here has got to do with salvation. That seed there is not. But it is a judgment seed. Listen to this now. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he says, Who himself bore our sins. Who is the he? Who is the he? Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus Christ bore our sins in his own body on the tree. What is the tree? The cross. So that means that he took your sin, that thing that I did in the swimming pool on that Sunday, that, that nice peach that I got from the neighbor's tree, that sin that I did, he took it in his body to the tree. He took it in his body to the cross. Having died to sin, might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. He saved our sins. So why would I then come before the beamer seat and he goes, Hey, Johnny boy, titi, 
You remember the day when you jumped over the village fence and you got into their pool? What can I do? I can say it's under the blood of forgetfulness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is now again why he says in 1 Peter 1.17, he says, If you call on a father without passing, he judges according to each one's own works. Now let me explain this to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, I just want to lay down the seat again. He says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's the same seed. He says that each one may receive the things done in the body according which He done, whether good or bad. Now, let's finish off this morning with this passage. Your works will be judged. This is what this judgment is going to be about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, he writes to Corinth again. This is Paul. He says, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? Because at that point in time, there were people. Apollos was a, a very uh, clever man. He, he had a lot of knowledge, well-spoken, equivalent. Paul wasn't so well-spoken and equivalent. People looked at him and they say, is that Paul? He was the shortest guy, they understand. He had a bold like me. He had runny eyes. And, and, and he wasn't well-spoken, they say. But here came Apollos and everybody goes, oh, we want to listen to Apollos. He's so much more polished. Paul comes around and says, there's no partiality. He says, who is Paul? But a servant of God. Who is Apollos? But a servant of God. But ministers through whom you believed. As the Lord gave to each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God gives increase. Oh man, I love this passage. You know what it says? Brother and sister, I'm nothing special more than you. I've just got a privilege of preaching God's word here, and I'm enjoying preaching God's word. I love preaching God's word. And why do you love it? Because people listen to you every Sunday? No, because I can see the change in people's hearts and lives. And I can tell you a lot of changes that I've seen over the last 25 years, 30 years. Is it because I'm preaching it? By far not. By far not. You can get somebody way more equivalent into this place. Paul will say the same thing. In fact, that's what he's saying there. He says, but what? I plant, I throw the word, somebody else wore it, but God increases it. He increases it. We need to stay humble when we preach God's word. Verse 8 says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. You see this? He talks about a reward according to his own labor. My brother sings every day on the street. He preached the gospel. You know what? He might just be a planter. Some people might take that, go into a church, and there's another person preaching. They might be the one who's watering it. And God gives the increase. And you know what? We're not doing it for rewards. Are you, brother? Are you going out to get a reward? No. We do it because we love it and because we've got an urgent for, for souls, you know, hunger for souls. And I want to see this whole place full for people to come and hear about God's word for souls. And you know what will happen? There is a reward according to your labor. And not only us, each one. You speak to some person, one person, you might be just sowing a seed. See how important it is. You can't have a harvest if there, if there was nobody sowing seeds. Have you ever seen a farmer doing that? 
He sits lazy on his porch and he goes, ah, you know, I'm so lazy. I'm not going to plant this season. Sits back with no seed in the ground. When his neighbor starts harvesting, he jumps on his tractor and goes, right, let's harvest. Gets out to his paddock. What's there? Nothing. This is why you are important. Each one sitting in this room. Don't say, I want to be a pastor or a preacher. He says, in fact, Jesus says it to his people at some states. He says, don't, don't stand up to be called a teacher, teacher, teacher. Don't that. But each one in this place, by having a pattern of good work, can sow the seed of Christ. Now let's continue on verse 9. He says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. You see? I told you, you are the stone. Look, there he goes. You are the building. You are God's building according to the grace of God which is given to me. As a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation. Let me hear. What is the foundation? Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. He is the foundation. He says, I've laid the foundation. And another builds on it. But this is where it comes in now. Now you need to listen. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Be careful. For no other foundation can anyone lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation is Jesus, it's how you build on it. If the foundation is strong, which it is, the walls can still be knocked over if you don't build the walls strong. And he elaborates on this. In verse 12 he says, this will be revealed by fire. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. You see the capital letter day? That's a special day. It's a day of judgment. It's when you will appear before Him. He says the day will declare it. What will He declare? The work that you've been doing. Because it will be revealed by what? By fire. Have you seen what happened with wood? If you put a fire to it, it burns to ashes. Have you seen that? Have you seen with hay? Have you seen with all of these things? Now let me ask you one thing. You say, but, you know, fire will burn gold and silver as well. Will it? Yes, it will. But what happens with gold and silver when it gets heated? It purifies. It purifies. So, what is he saying to you and me? He says that each one in this place has got a responsibility. You are building. If you've got small little children, your influence will come on that little children. And you are building on them. First of all, lay the foundation, Jesus Christ. As a mom and a dad, take your children to church. Take them, teach them the gospel. Show them. Show them how mom and dad, listen, your children will pray like mom and dad pray. Your children will read their Bible like mom and dad read their Bible. You say, but it's too late now. It's never too late. You allow God to change your heart and your children and your friends will take notice. Oh yeah, you will lose, you will, a lot of people will turn their backs on you. That's right, they will. But the ones who are not turning their backs on you, you've got the opportunity to build in their lives. You've got that opportunity. Don't call me on a Saturday night and say, Pastor. No, you've got the opportunity to do that. What's Leone doing there on the other side with your children? 
You are, you, you've given your children to my wife. She sits in a room. You don't know any Sunday what she's teaching them. But what is she doing? She's building on the foundation. She tells them about Christ. And now she's building. Now one day, the day, the day, the big letter day there will appear when her work, she will stand, I will stand before Christ, you will stand before Christ, and you know what's going to happen? He's going to put it to the test of fire. Let's see if it burns. And if it burns, whether it's going to be purified or it's going to burn to ashes. Think of that. You know what you are doing. You need to establish a pattern of good work, Peter's, uh, uh, Titus, uh, Paul says to Titus. Now it's not all works, it's works after the cross that matters. It's works done for Christ. Look at this now, he says it will be, it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work if, if, of what sort it is. If anyone's work he has built on endures, in other words, when it purifies, he will get what? He will receive a what? A reward. Before the beamer seed of Christ, He will give you a reward for that. And let me say, that reward outshines any reward you could have get on this earth. Any one of those. He says, if anyone's work is burnt, he will what? Suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. But in, in exactly what I said to you before, that this seed is not a seed of salvation it is a seed where your works will be judged now if the works that you've done when you were a child of god a christian if they are burning you will suffer a loss but you will be saved yet as through fire is that clear how wonderful is it every single thing you do as a child of god counts it's written up it's documented and it will appear before him in verse 16 he says do you not know that you are the temple of god and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Wow, that's a sobering thought, isn't it? Did you not know that you, he's writing it to Christians in the church, are the temple of God? They're talking about rebuilding the temple in Israel. I don't need to rebuild that temple. <laughs> and who dwells in you? The Holy Spirit dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, we all get it clear now this morning. You will be judged by your works, not by your brother's works. Oh, and again I repeat myself, we are so many times keepers of our brother's and sister's faults, aren't we? We want to keep those things. And you know what? When they really made us mad... What do we want to do? We want to pull out that little book and we open up on that page and we start mentioning all those things that we've kept over the years. You know what the Bible says that is? It says that is unforgiveness. And you know what will happen? Unforgiveness does not influence the other person. It destroys you. It tears you up, unforgiveness. Forgiveness needs to be short and sweet every day. The Bible says, how many times? The disciples came to Jesus and said, how many times? Come on, how many times? Surely, Lord, if I do it five times, I'm a good person. But the sixth time, man, I'm, gonna, I, I, I'm just going to give him. Because I've been so patient five times. But then he turns to them and he says, get out your calculators. Seven times? Seventy. Get out the calculator. Who made that math? 
And I've heard so many people make that map, and they go, oh, I'm sitting there with my little book, man. I'm counting them off. Mm, okay, I'm counting off, giving you. Mm, but one day, one day, it's going to come to the last number. Let me just give you a little bit of teaching around 7 times 70. What did Jesus mean when he said that? Did he say that we need to work it out with a calculator? No, no. When he said that to his disciples, he went back to the understanding of what is written in the book of Daniel. What is written in the book of Daniel, he talks about seven times 70. What will happen at the, end, uh, at the end of that? It will be the end of time. So in other words, forget the calculators, forget the book and how many count. You need to forgive if you're a child of God until the end of time. You can't out-forgive God. So, the second thing we're finishing on this morning, he says, stay here in fear. See, see what he says. He says, our Father partially judges according to each one's work. Now he says, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Conduct yourself. It means your way of living, things you do. How should we live in this life? It's not for those people, I, I, I repeat myself, it's not those people in those places. He says, while you're alive on the earth, conduct yourself in fear. The word for fear there comes from the Greek word phobios. That's where we get our English word phobio from. We, we, we know that people say all's oh, got phobios, isn't it? And these phobios are bad. What is the phobia if you go high? It is... Um, if you, the higher you go, you've got fear of height. I don't know what you call these phobias, but I, I don't like height. I'll just say that. But it's not that kind of fear that is. This is not a bad fear he's talking about. This fear here is a good fear. He says, while we stay here, this is not a cringing fear or a, or a slave before a master, but it's a loving, reverence fear of a child before his father. This is how we need to live. And, and there is still Christian, children of God who lives like this. If I'm going to do something wrong, God is sitting on His throne and He's keeping an eye on you and He checks you out and He goes, yeah, I'm looking at you. There He goes. He jumps over the wall. He's close to the swimming pool. Oh man, if He puts His toe in that swimming pool, I'm ready. And now He jumps and He goes, yeah, crush Him. That's how people think. They fear God will crush. That's not the fear of God. That's not the fear that he's talking about. This is a reverence fear. This is a fear of pleasing the Father. This is a fear of the Holy Spirit being removed and left over to your own devices. As a child of God. This is it. It's not a fear of judgment that God's going to judge you, but it's a fear of disappointing God and of sinning against His love. That's the kind of fear it is. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, is the explanation. He says there is no fear in love. Wait a minute. God is love, isn't it? God is agape. So is the Bible now contradicting itself here? God is love. God is agape. This essence, His DNA is love. Now, in John, John writes the gospel. He says there is no fear in love. But He's correct. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. You see, the love that I, or the fear that I've got for God now is not a tormented fear. It is a reference fear. It is not to disappoint my Father. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. 
This is a godly fear he's talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 1. Therefore, and by the way, I'm just saving time here. I've got so many scripture verses, I have to cut them all out. Otherwise, you'll be sitting here for two and a half hours. And you might have a roast in the oven. He says in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, he says, Therefore, there's again that word, brother. Therefore, you need to read all before it, but I will continue on. Having these promises... Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in what? In the fear of God. In the fear of God. As a child of God, you should never fear that God will destroy you. But listen to me very carefully this morning. God will punish you as a child. There's a difference between punishing and destroying my dad, when he gave me a whipping, he was punishing me. He didn't try to destroy me. He didn't say, come up here, now I'm going to destroy you utterly. Why? Because I did a wrong thing and he wanted to teach me a lesson. Now God will punish people as well, Christians, he will, he does. And this is what happening. In 1 Peter, last verse for the day, he says, 1 Peter 1, 17, And if you call on the Father without partiality, it will pass according to each one's work. Conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. You see? It's not corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, receiving by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ and of the Lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, there might be in the few, next few weeks coming a sermon on the blood of Christ. You see? You see how wonderful it is? Didn't I tell you the first chapter of the letter of Peter can keep us here for a whole year? There might be a sermon coming up even about the tradition from your fathers, which I think I've pray, preached already when I preached through the book of Colossians last year. But here's the thing, brother and sister. Let us build a pattern of good works. Now, let me just say this. If you're going to try to live this life without the Holy Spirit, you're going to be disappointing yourself. If you're going to try hard to be this Christian, you're going to fail. This is how you ought to do it. You need to go on your knees and say, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit work through me. Because without the Holy Spirit, brother and sister, you will not be able to set up a pattern of good works. Pray this prayer to Him. Say, Father, let Your Spirit work through me. Let Your Spirit work through me. And I'll tell you one thing, brother and sister, a pattern of good works will start. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You this morning for Your Word. I thank You, Father, that we've heard about this judgment seat. I thank You, Father, that each one of our works will be judged. And the reason why I thank you, Father, is because we are serving a holy and a righteous God. And every work done will be tested by the fire of Christ. I pray now, Lord, that you go with us. Let this message be stamped upon our hearts and minds, and that we may live, as Paul says, giving our lives as a living sacrifice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.